Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. How are you doing today? I am so excited. There's so much stuff that's happening. My nephews are coming into town today. I get to go meet with them and we're going to spend three days together in an in-person retreat. I just went to this fantastic lecture that it was awesome. So if you haven't read the book, The Book of Joy, that's all I've been talking about, get the book. It's about Archbishop Tutu and the Dalai Lama. And it's about joy and how joy is a choice. And Doug Abrams wrote the book with them. Great book. It aligns with a lot of what I talk about on the show. And I highly recommend it. I got to go see the lecture. I got to go be at the lecture on campus this week. And it really just reinforced so much about joy and how do we have joy when it comes from inside and when there's so much suffering in the world and the importance of being of service to other people and that can fulfill our joy. So check out that book. I love, love, love it. Before we get started in today's show, I want to do a shout out because we are a community here, right? At How She Really Does It. There's all these vibrant people and there's emails that we get. And I loved it. I got an email back from one of the Sunday Love subscribers, Susan. Susan is a newsletter subscriber and she emailed me back because last week on the Sunday Love, it's a column I write that I send out every Sunday, and it was about the 10 ways to practice gratitude. And she emailed back and said, Corinne just wanted to share that practicing gratitude in the middle of the night when you have insomnia is absolutely genius. It was such a perfect way to turn my mind and my emotions around. Normally, I wake up and start thinking, thinking, thinking in a really anxious way. And last night after reading your article, I thought, hey, why don't I think about all the things I'm grateful for instead? I started with my husband, who is sleeping and snoring besides me, and it just got better from there. And I was able to fall back asleep too. Thank you for all your tips. I love practicing gratitude. Susan, thank you so much for sending that email. It made, there's a great deal of pain that comes with writing and putting things out there, having the show and putting it out there and not knowing, does it help you? Is this helpful? Does this work? and also wanting to share with you these things that my clients find helpful. So thank you for that response, for that email back. Again, she signed up for the Sunday Love. If you go to my website at howshereallydoesit.com, or there's a link in the show notes, and you can get signed up for the Sunday Love. And it also on Fridays, you'll get the Friday podcast email. So that's part of our community today. And today I'm going to be talking about choosing your words carefully. Of course, I would be talking about that. It's so important to choose our words carefully. And I'm not talking about, you know, the word of the year. So now we're in February of 2019, in case you're listening to this at a future date. But February of 2019, there was a lot of, you know, discussion on the social media and the interwebs about pick a word for the year, forget resolutions, pick a word. That's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about choosing your words carefully. I'm talking about how do you speak? What's the language that you use? Because that language that you use has an effect 
on your energy and can determine the results in your life. So these are the words that we use in our day-to-day language, and you may not even be aware of it. And this is something that with my clients, I catch and they start to go, oh, they start to realize that these words are creating the results in their life. So here's an example. The other day, one of my clients, she told me that she was tired of, quote, being the bad guy by holding the boundaries in her company. Hmm. Sound familiar? How often are you the one that's responsible for the boundaries, whether it's in your company, with your family, in your community, maybe it's in volunteering and you get tired of it. And so I asked her, I said, when you say you're the bad guy, how do you feel? And we've done quite a bit of work. So she's pretty understanding of her emotions and she's very aware. And she said, when I tell myself I'm the bad guy, I feel shame. And remember, shame is that voice of, I'm not enough. There's something wrong with me. And it's also the voice of, I'm too much. So for her, she can feel really bad about herself and go, I'm not enough. But the other side of what happens in her leadership role is she makes being the bad guy mean that she is a B word. I don't know if I should say the word because you may have children around that she's the B word and that she's too much. Sound familiar? The problem with this is that when she believes those stories and they're all stories, my friend, they're all stories. She either retreats and hides away or she puffs up really big. And in addition to how she reacts, here's the other situation that she has her physical appearance which can be intimidating because like me, she's tall. I'm 5'11". She's just about my height. So physically for some people, she already has an imposing stature when she walks into the room and people already have stories about her. And then the problem is that the boundaries are not being upheld because of these tactics of like, oh, I'm either too big or I'm too small or I need to puff up or I need to shrink away. I'm not enough or I'm too much, right? All this drama that goes on in the head and the boundaries are being neglected. And when she retreats, what happens with the boundaries? She typically gets walked all over or things don't get done and then it becomes her responsibility or she gets into, I don't want to say trouble because that's not what happens, but the things that need to happen don't get taken care of. Things aren't done appropriately. And we also know what happens when there's not confrontation, when there's not dealing with it, when we're not having hard conversation, right? We become resentful. We get filled with resentment. And that's when my clients come to me and they just verbally vomit and they're so mad. And typically this is also interjected with, Corinne, I'm out. This is ridiculous. I don't need this crap. I'm leaving. I'm always like, hold on. Cause that's not the problem. Boundaries are an issue everywhere, whether it's with our families, whether it's in our workplaces, whether it's in our community, whether it's at the four-way intersection with the stop signs in my town of Davis and downtown Davis with people trying to drive through, bike through, and the pedestrians who are on their phones crossing the street. Boundaries are an issue. And it's not about, oh, I need to go someplace else because the grass is greener. It's about learning how to manage boundaries. So I usually get them to calm down and let's take a look at this because if they don't have the courageous conversations, the resentment fills up and then that's where the blow can happen, right? That's where she can really puff up and either want to leave and quit her job and run away and, or 
where she may just have had it for so long that there comes a blow. Have you ever been in a meeting where your leader, your manager becomes intolerant and just gladiates onto all of you? This is what happens because it's been this pendulum of, let me retreat, let me come at you. So here's the thing. When she puffs up, what happens in her with her team? They tend to ignore her. Some of them are going to rebel. Many become afraid of her. And remember, she also has a physical stature and we could say, oh, that shouldn't matter. But in her case, it can, right? And it also can be her own stories of what she's told herself throughout her life. So she's not an effective leader. And they now have evidence that she really, truly is indeed the B word, right? But before she and I could work on boundaries, we had to do some work on her own beliefs about herself as she supports the boundaries for her company. Because here's the thing is that your beliefs about yourself affect how you show up or don't show up in the workplace. And that's why it's so important to really understand what is it you believe about yourself as a leader, who you are and the boundaries that you're doing. Because being your own best friend is so important because if you're not, and if you allow to listen to the critics, the naysayers, and then you let them sway you, you're not going to be as an effective leader. So we worked on what were her beliefs about herself as a leader? What were her beliefs about herself as a human in doing this from a place of compassion, doing it from a place of being your own best friend. And I talk about this concept a lot. Years ago, I had this client that came to me who, when she wanted to work with me and she's a CEO and I said, okay, well, ultimately what's the goal? And she goes, I want to be my own best friend. And here's a side note on that. I was like, really? That's it? And I didn't realize how powerful that was because when she's her own best friend and she's leading and there's difficulties with other people in her life, she can be compassionate and say, okay, you know, yes, you're doing it this way to herself. And that's probably not very effective. And this would be better. What your best friend would say, your best friend would give you the honest truth and also still love you. But how often are we our own critics or we're listening to people who are critics of us who we don't like and may have different values and we listen to them to guide us. We need to be our own best friend where we have our back and we're willing to own our strengths as well as our flaws. So I had to get my client into this space, grounded into herself, you know, looking at all of her, here are the things that she's amazing and she's badass about. And here are the things that she's not so good about. Obviously one area is the boundaries and she's not alone because we all can struggle with it. I can be really good at boundaries and there are certain aspects of boundaries where I also suck at it and I'm working on improving. It's like just another drawer to clean up in your life, right? There's drawers that can be impeccable. And then there's drawers that may need some work, maybe just from the catch all of life. So we worked on her beliefs about herself and what did she believe about herself? What were her beliefs that were about boundaries, right? So when she got to this place of like, okay, I am a strong leader, you know, the work I do is important. I am valuable to the company and my team and I have a good partnership, whatever the stories may be that are true. And then she had to look at, okay, what does she believe about boundaries, And because what her beliefs are about boundaries will determine whether or not she reinforces them. If you think boundaries are restrictive, 
then you're not going to reinforce them. If you think boundaries are somebody else's job to reinforce, (laughs) then you're not going to reinforce them. I used to think, some people think boundaries are, you know, I use the the metaphor of the the German wall, the Berlin wall, right? It's this this wall and you're not going to pass it. Really, I think of boundaries as a fence post. And it's a fence post and these are your boundaries and it's your responsibility to make sure you maintain them and keep them up. People are going to want to lean on them. They're going to want to push them. They're going to want to come through the gate when the gate is closed and you get to determine who comes inside the gate. You get to determine when you latch the gate. Some people are going to kick the gate down. There's going to be a whole bunch of stuff. And we often think, well, they should be fixing my gate. They did this. These are your boundaries. It's your job. It's your responsibility to support it to be reinforce it. And it doesn't mean you're bad. This gives you the structure so that you can do the work for your company, for your team, for your family, for you to show up in your life as your best self. So for her, instead of being against herself and being a critic, we worked on her being her own best friend and being compassionate. And then when she was in that place, she was able to see that by having boundaries, she was actually able to be an advocate for her team because she could say, these are the boundaries. These are the meetings that we have. These are the schedules that we must meet because when somebody didn't keep a schedule or re- kept rescheduling a meeting, the proposals on her team weren't getting done. And then it was seeping into people's lives and then they couldn't go on vacation or they couldn't have the holidays that they wanted. So instead of thinking boundaries were a bad thing, she had to think about boundaries as a way to be an advocate for her team. Okay. So I want you to think about these two reframes. One is coming from a place of being your own best friend, being compassionate with yourself, really checking in with the stories that you're telling yourself, not what the haters are going to think because the haters are going to hate. That's what they're going to do. And your values probably don't line up, but you going in and saying, okay, what do I do? Well, where are my weaknesses? Cause we all have them. And does that get in the way of doing this job, being your own best friend, looking at it all. And then from there, I want you to think about when you think of having boundaries, are you being an advocate for your team, for your family, for your community? And even for yourself, and that may seem like, well, Karen, I'm being really selfish by having boundaries for myself. But really, are you? Because what's the cost, again, to yourself, to your family, to your friends, to your community, to your work environment, when you don't take care of yourself, when you're filled with resentment and frustration, you're going to probably blow, quit, or run away. That doesn't help anyone. So we want to have these boundaries to support you and the people around you. So for you, it's about reframing what you make boundaries mean. Do you look at it negatively or do you look at it as being an advocate for you or the people around you being support for the people around you and yourself? And then I want you to notice when you're coming from this as a place of your being your own best friend and also boundaries being an advocate or support, how does that feel? Does it feel different Then when my client was saying, oh, I'm a bad guy, right? That is filled with so much shame and self-loathing versus I'm an advocate for my team by having boundaries. So when she was able to get to that belief system and she believed it, she really, really believed it. It wasn't some airy fairy positive thinking, you know, where there was no belief into it, but she was like, yes, I'm really being an advocate for my team by having boundaries. 
for her, all that heaviness that she was feeling from the shame and her drooping shoulders and her tummy hurting, it went away and she felt light. She felt actually empowered and she felt confident. And then she was able to make more effective decisions. And then she was able to have more courageous conversations, those difficult conversations that we're not huge fans of, but she was able to have them not a whole lot of time, not a whole lot of drama. And then think about it when you're an employee on a team and you're wanting feedback and you don't get it and you don't know, did I do this? Well, did I not do this? Well, I just need feedback. I hear that all the time too, from my clients as well. So when she was able to be an advocate for her team by having boundaries and really believe that as because she was her own best friend, she felt empowered. And then there was that ripple effect that that's the feeling that came out in her workplace instead of the shame, because remember, shame is highly contagious. And so we're feeling shame and then there's that resentment or there's an anger, there's that frustration or the puffing up. That's what you're bringing into the workplace. All of this starts with two things. One, are you your own best friend? Two, are you choosing your words carefully? Your words matter. Your words matter. So now for you, what about you? What words do you notice that create crappy feelings? Notice that. And maybe it could be another story I have real quickly is I had a client who was really working on boundaries and she's like, I was really bold. You know, I did this last week and it was great. And And then she said, yes. And I had a, she had one of her colleagues who came in at the last minute with the project and said, you know, can you get this? And she said, I'm sorry, I can't get it to you till next week. And she's, you know, saying, Corinne, yay me, look at what I did. And I go, that is awesome. Yay you. Now here's the next thing. Were you really sorry? And she goes, no, I wasn't sorry. And I said, well, what's getting in the way of you being impeccable with your words? And it's that idea, that programming of, I must be a good girl. I must be nice because I can't get them what they need. And instead we worked out that, okay, when somebody comes at a last minute with the project and you want to be a team player and help, and you say, I can't get that to you right now, but I've looked at my calendar and I can get it to you next Wednesday by this time. And there may be some negotiations around that, but looking at that calendar and then your responsibility to being a team player is making sure if you promise you're going to deliver, you deliver. And those are the boundaries that I'm constantly working on is sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm going to put this there. And then later something happens and I go, no, I will get this done because I made a commitment that I would get to that. And sometimes it can be a simple answer to an email. This happened a few weeks ago and I had a phone call. Somebody needed something from me. I said, I was going to get it to them later that day. I had a board meeting that night and I got home at 10, 15. The last thing I wanted to do was go look at my email, but I made that commitment and I wanted to follow through because then I'm teaching this other person that they can trust me that I will do as I say, even though they had to wait, I don't know, it was probably like 10 hours for the information, but that was the time that I can get to it. So I give you this an example of choose your words carefully because it affects your emotions and it affects the emotions that you bring into the space. It also can affect, are you building trust or not? Because when we retreat and hide away, we're not building trust because people go, oh, they're being passive aggressive. They're not saying. When you gladiate onto other people's, that never feels safe. And here's the thing, my friend, don't feel shame about it. Well, you can feel what you need to feel, but don't beat yourself up about it because one of my go-to strategies, not so much in the workplace, unless I get really, really mad, but 
definitely with those that I love is to gladiate. We all do it in different avenues and different arenas. So don't beat yourself up about it. Pay attention to it and then make a decision of how do I want to react? And that's why it goes back to, we want to choose our words carefully. Or another thing is to be impeccable with your words. I'm not saying be perfect with your words, but be impeccable, like have a high standard for yourself of what do you want to say? Do you want to always be telling people, oh, I'm just so tired. I'm just so tired. Oh, my day is horrible. And I'm not saying lying like, oh, my day is so fantastic. It's so wonderful. And inside you're like, I'm a crumbling mess. Like own all of it. You know, when the days that it's great, say that it's great on the days that it's just so, so you can say that own all of it. Just be really mindful of the words that you choose because the words that you choose can create how you feel, which then will create how you react. And then that will create the results in your life. Carol Dweck says this in her book, Mindset, the thoughts that you think can create the results in your life. So the thought is just more words. So be very careful with those words that you use because this is your life. And how do you want to live it? How do you want to feel about yourself? And how do you want to engage with those around you? So go notice and then choose a better word that creates a better feeling so you can be more effective in your life. Hey, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, you'll love my weekly emails. I know you're thinking, Karen, really? Do I want another email in my overflowing inbox? Yes, you do. Yippee, skippy, you do. These are short, they're sweet. On Fridays, I send out the Friday podcast. It's a great reminder that there's a new show and it comes straight into your inbox of the latest episode. Awesome. You click on it, you go straight because we all need reminders. We have busy full lives. And then on Sundays, I have my Sunday love column. And these are emails I write from the heart. They're filled with love. We need more love. We all do, myself included. These are short emails where you get a quick takeaway so you can incorporate this into your life because people often want to know, what to do and how to do it. And maybe sometimes it's a story that you get, or there's like one time I wrote about the 10 ways to practice gratitude. And that became such a great tool when one of the readers was struggling in the middle of the night, because it can be a scary place in our brains in the middle of the night. And she remembered the email that I sent about 10 ways to practice gratitude. And she was able to practice gratitude and fall back asleep. And that was an awesome lesson for her to incorporate into her life. Go to the show notes and there's a link in the show notes where you can sign up and get these emails in your box. I'm smiling big for you. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide awake.